Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Welcome to the launch of Dr. Cheong Kun Hien's book, Seeking a Better Urban Future. We are delighted to have Minister for National Development, Mr. Lawrence Wong, here as our guest of honour. Minister will deliver his remarks, followed by Dr. Cheong. We will then launch the book. But first, may I invite IPS Director, Mr. Janadas Devan, to deliver the opening remarks. Minister, Dr. Cheong, a distinguished guest, welcome to the launch of Dr. Cheong's uh, book entitled Seeking a Better Urban Future. This is a collection of her three IPS Northern lectures and post-lecture discussions that took place during her term as the SR Northern Fellow earlier this year. The SR Northern Fellowship, as you know, was um, announced um, 2013 on the occasion of our 25th anniversary, and it was established to pay tribute um, to our longest serving president, Mr. S.R. Nathan, whose service to the nation went well beyond the 12 years he served as our head of state. We raised about $6 million, um, including a matching grant from the government, uh, to endow the fellowship. And um, I'm very grateful to all our donors, individuals as well as uh, corporations, some of you are here in the audience, uh, for your generosity in funding this fellowship and for your support of IPS over the years. As we celebrate the 30th anniversary of IPS this year, I'm happy to report that we have completed five sets of IPS Northern um, lectures, series, and we are in the midst of the sixth, which um, uh, is being um, um, delivered by the historian Tan Tai Yong. And today, with the Dr. Cheong's book, we would have launched five SR Northern IPS lectures series. Um, the first four um, collectively sold 10,000 copies, um, and I expect double this uh, with Dr. Cheong's book. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, the, or the lecture series collectively attracted an audience of about 8,000 or so, close to 8,000. And, uh, and this is actually quite a successful uh, lecture series. Um, 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 it is not uh, a, an academic lecture series. It is conceived as for what, we, in our terms, we described as for the broad educated uh, uh, population. And uh, it attracted people of all ages um, and from different segments of society. And um, Dr. Cheong's uh, lecture series, uh, in particular, attracted a wide variety of people. Uh, not only uh, policymakers, uh, but also um, um, members of the public, and also students. Um, actually, a lot of students appeared at her lectures. Uh, it was held in the NUS and with the architecture school in the vicinity. I think it attracted quite a lot of people. Um, Dr. Chiang was um, unique in our, among our um, IPS Northern Fellows. Uh, she was the first female, and thus far the only female, and therefore she was probably the better looking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and uh, certainly, the, you know, by far the better looking among our five <laughs> uh, fellows. Um, she was also, I mean, all of them, with the exception of Taeyong, uh, were from the public service. Uh, but she was the only one uh, who was an active policymaker uh, when she was delivering her lecture series. She was still in service and in thrall. Um, to her boss, who is actually in the audience today. Uh, <laughs> and, and therefore, she had a, 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 a careful balancing act uh, to perform. 
and which she, which she, which she, which she carried out with great aplomb. Um, um, and uh, I think uh, we are very grateful for her for delivering these lectures. Uh, she emphasized the need for Singapore to find our way, uh, while at the same time learning from best practices overseas. She identified the major trends uh, that will pose significant uh, risk challenges and disruption to cities, not only Singapore, and affect the way we develop in managing cities. And she rounded up her lecture series by painting a hopeful future for our Singapore's heartlands, um, offering a glimpse of the green spaces, uh, the integrated facilities, and smart features that it will the, the housing estates of the future uh, will feature. Um, after her lecture, you could, and as I mentioned, there were lots of young people who attended, and she was almost always surrounded by young people with lots of questions to ask. Um, and I think it was um, a very le successful lecture series um, that uh, she delivered. I've always been wanting her to do television. Uh, I've not been able to convince her of that. Uh, a whole series on cities and urban planning in Singapore uh, hosted by Dr. Chong, but you know, she's consistently refused to do so. So I'm making a public plea this time around uh, <laughs> that <laughs> she concedes uh, to, do, to do this after the very successful launch of this book. Um, HDB happens to be one of my two favorite agencies in government. Um, uh, HDB because it, um, uh, it does an enormous amount of good, housing 80% of uh, Singapore's population, including me, by the way. Um, and um, the other agency is NPARCS because it can't possibly do any harm. Uh, <laughs> planting, <laughs> uh, <laughs> planting trees everywhere and, and, and creating a lot of happiness. Um, and it is so happens that both these agencies um, belong to the Ministry of National Development, so it gives me great pleasure to welcome um, Mr. Lawrence Wong to deliver his remarks. Thank you very much, uh, Janadas, for that introduction. Uh, Dr. Chong Kun Hien, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to join you for this launch of Kun Hien's book on Seeking a Better Urban Future. Usually, people write books after they retire. Uh, the last time I checked, Kun Hien has not made any retirement plans. Uh, I would be very worried if that were the case, because I still need her as CEO of HDB. So she explained to me that she doesn't have time to write a book, and the book is really a compilation of, as you heard just now, the lecture she gave as an SR Nadan Fellow. But she, I think, is modest about her ability uh, to multitask because as you also heard from Janadas just now, I checked also to verify this. All the previous SR Nadan fellows, there have been five in total. The first was Mr. Ho Kwan Peng. Of course, he runs his own business. He can find time uh, to speak. The current one is Mr. Professor Tan Tai Yong. He's an academic but the rest have all been public servants, and all of them were retired before coming to speak. And you know when you are retired, you've got a lot more time to <laughs> ruminate and to reflect on what you want to say. Uh, one is uh, Permsek Bilahari, and two are former head of civil service, including Mr. Peter Ho here and Mr. Lim Siong Guan. So Kun Hien is the first active serving public sector leader to be appointed as our Nadan Fellow. Her lectures were very well subscribed, as you heard just now. And it's, um, 
you know, demanding to have to do her full-time job, her day job, which is already takes a lot of time in HDB because of the volume of work that you have to do, and at the same time, prepare and deliver the series of lectures uh, for the fellowship. So I think it really says something about her work capacity and her distinguished record of service. Uh, Singapore is indeed very fortunate to have someone like Kun Hien dedicate herself to public service. MND in particular has benefited from her service because she spent most of her career in MND agencies, starting from PWD and then later in URA and now HDB. And speaking personally as the minister in charge, I would say that I always count my blessings uh, to be minister at a time when I have such an effective, experienced and capable CEO in charge of one of my most important agencies. Uh, Kun Hien's calling is in architecture and planning, but she has proven herself to be an effective leader in other domains. In fact, I first knew Kun Hien years ago when she did a secondment in MTI. I was then an economist in MTI, and she was director of International Business Division. The division no longer exists in MTI, but in those days there was an IBD. That was the time of the Asian financial crisis. And as director of IBD, uh, she provided a steady hand through the crisis and played an important role in shaping our trade and business policies and helping companies venture outside of Singapore. And so you could already see at that time that what makes her so effective is the broad range of skills that she possesses. As a leader, she is able to see the big picture she understands the importance of organizational systems and processes and how to get, bring people together to get things done. But because of her training, she also has an eye for details, a good sense of aesthetics, and she always brings that architectural touch in her work. And so today, her legacy can be seen in physical landmarks all over Singapore. Notably, most notably in the stunning Marina Bay waterfront that she helped to develop and transform as CEO of URA. But after URA, she then went on to hit HDB and helped to develop and transform our public housing estates. Now, there was a time when people used to say that all HDB flats had a standard HDB look. Uh, you go in anywhere, you see a HDB flat, there's this standard look associated with it. I think it's certainly no longer the case. Uh, you cannot possibly say with a straight face that this is the case today because you look at projects like Pongol Waterway, Skyville at Dawson, and the upcoming projects uh, or HDB flats in the new estate of Tengah, they are completely different, they are beautiful, they are stunning, and they win many local and international awards. Just recently, Kampong Admiralty won the Building of the Year Award at the World Architectural Festival. And you, in case you think this is just yet another award, uh, the World Architectural Festival is regarded as the award for architects. It's the Oscars for architects. Uh, building owners and architects spend a lifetime trying to get an award there. And we have now one like this for a HDB project. It's, a, I think, a very strong endorsement of the kind of work that Kun Yen has done in HDB. Of course, 
A project like this is not done by HDB alone. Kampong Admiralty was done in partnership with Woha Architects. And I think that also speaks to the kind of uh, work that is sometimes not very visible and the ability that Kun Yen has to bring people together. Because she herself is highly respected as a leader in the architectural community, she has been able to bring in many private architects for HDB's develop developments and forge strong partnerships with them. At the same time, she recognises that not all public housing functions can be outsourced fully to the private sector. And so she has devoted energies to building up in-house capabilities within HDB itself. Every year, HDB has a pipeline of projects and she was set aside a few of them to be done entirely within the HDB team. And she has nurtured a team of architects, planners and engineers and given them opportunities to shine and to excel, mentoring them, guiding them along the way. And that's, this is very important because what it means is that this ability to design and build beautiful and stunning HDB public housing estates will not just come and go with her as an individual, but we are systematically putting in place and building up that capabilities within the organisation. Uh, from time to time, you hear criticisms of architects uh, being too focused on building form and structure. In fact, yeah, you know, you hear this criticism from time to time when you have a, an architect that you know, obsesses about the particular design of the building. But this is certainly not the case for Kun Hien. Uh, she understands that good architecture is not just about aesthetics and design, but importantly about public spaces, human-scale developments, being people-centred and facilitating social interactions. Because it's not the buildings, but ultimately the people who shape the community and make it a home. And that's why she has also been instrumental in getting HDB to build up its software, engaging residents, activating public spaces with programs, and injecting vibrancy in the community. And for all that she has achieved, and I might add that she is continuing to achieve because she has not retired yet, <laughs> it is fitting that she is not only recognised within Singapore, but also internationally. In 2016, she was the first government official and also the first female to receive the prestigious Lynn Biddle Lifetime Achievement Award. This is given by the Council for Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat Board of Trustees uh, for individuals who have made extraordinary contributions to the urban environment, improving the quality of, lives in the, of life in the cities they work in. And in the same year, 2016, she became the first person in Asia to receive the Urban Land Institute J.C. Nichols Prize for Visionaries in Urban Development. And that makes her the only person in the world to have received both Lifetime Awards within the same year. You know, in Singapore, we don't like to blow our own trumpet, right? And, and sometimes you talk to people and it seems like we are always trying to do better. Nothing we do is ever good enough. But, but objectively speaking, objectively speaking, when you look at um, many of the, what we have achieved today, there are indeed many things that are of international standard and world class. And we do get many visitors who come to Singapore and they truly admire what we have done in our urban environment, what we have done in our greenery, and what we have done in public housing. Of course, all of that 
It's a team effort. Needless to say, it can't be done by any one person. It's a team effort. But the individuals in the team do matter. And Kun Hien is one individual who has made a difference. So I'm very glad that as SR Nathan Fellow, she had the chance to share her experiences and insights. And all this is now documented in the book, which means that more of that can be shared with a wider audience. Her talks and the title of the book are about a better urban future. And that's what Kun Hien has devoted herself to in her professional career. And her many contributions, her experiences and insights, and the legacy of her outstanding work so far give us hope that we can indeed strive for a better urban future for Singapore for many more decades to come. Thank you very much and congratulations, Kun Hien. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. So, Minister for National Development and Second Minister for Finance, uh, Mr. Long Wong, distinguished uh, guests, friends, ladies and gentlemen. First, I really like to thank Minister Lawrence Wong for, of course, gracing the occasion as a guest of honour. Our politicians are actually very busy people, all right? And so I'm very grateful that he took the time to come. And more importantly, I think uh, I was actually quite stunned listening to him, you know, that I didn't realise he realised I did a lot. <laughs> I think those words are so encouraging, not only for me, but for some of my colleagues who are sitting in the audience. It is a team effort, and they are uh, my partner in arms in doing many of these things. So thank you very much. And I would like to say that Minister is very supportive and give us good guidance for our efforts to make Singapore a great city and endearing home. Many of the things we do will never be possible without strong support from uh, decision makers, especially our political leaders. So I always say, if there's any place in the world that I like to do planning, it's in Singapore. Because we have a very supportive government who looks long-term together with us and is prepared to take very difficult decisions. So thank you very much, Minister. And not because he's my boss only, all right? <laughs> I would also like to thank all of you for taking the time out uh, from your busy schedule to, to come and let me support to launch the book. Many of you are my colleagues, my friends, and uh, also people whom I worked with uh, over the course of my career. And some of you, actually, I'm just thankful that you, you showed up <laughs> for the book launch, and some of you also attended my lectures, so it's very, very much appreciated. Now, when Janet Das first approached me to be the SR uh, Northern Fellow, I must say I was very reluctant. And uh, as I felt, firstly, there are many more persons who are far more suitable and eminent. And uh, of course, as he has rightly put it, I'm the first sitting CEO. So the first sitting CEO is also a bit of a lightning rod, particularly because of the type of work that I do. So I also... I'm appreciative that he recognised that I had a very fine balancing act. So a lot of the lectures, of course, focus uh, on my own experience as an architect planner. I did try to take a slightly more physical orientation, but as life would have it, that never necessarily is the way it goes. We had very lively Q&A sessions, all right? And Jenna Das has a great uh, strength. He is highly persuasive. 
So after much thought, I think he took more than a year, you know, he kept coming back to me and I kept saying no. Um, I did it because, uh, firstly, it is for President Nathan. Uh, I knew President Nathan when he was alive and he was very supportive of the Thai world and he was very curious about developments in Singapore, very enthusiastic. And I thought, well, if I deliver these lectures as a fellow under his name, it is a very small contribution on my part to honour his uh, legacy. And also, I have been involved in shaping the physical development of Singapore for some three decades. I feel very old, uh, although ministers say I'm not retired yet. Uh, and, you know, when we are doing work, we are always, always more focused on doing than on the documenting. So, in a way, preparing the lectures forced me to put down many of my thoughts about the development of cities and of Singapore on paper in a more cogent way. So, I was forced to write it down. Uh, and it's not easy because, as my colleagues will tell you, uh, I don't write speeches. I'm very visual, I prepare slides, and then I talk, all right? So now I have to reverse the process because I know that he will chase me to compile my lectures into a book. So I have to start with the writing and then do the explaining, which is a lot harder for me, all right? But uh, so I had put it down on paper. Now I'm not going to describe the book in detail because uh, I hope you will read it instead. But then here's a tip. If you find reading the book really hard going, it might actually be easier to watch the lectures on YouTube. They're all posted on YouTube. And also because the lectures are far more visual on YouTube because I like to use a lot of slides and videos. I'm a very visual person. I'm not so good at writing, all right? I, I like to I paint the picture for you rather than write for you. But the warning is that each lecture takes slightly more than an hour. And that was because uh, I shared the year of lectures with Mr. Lim Siong Guan. So I think we both did three, am I right? So I, 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 I crammed quite a bit into each lecture. So it's a little bit long, all right? So today, what I'd like to share with you is what motivated the lecture theme. And, you know, Singapore, as Janetas has often said, is an anomaly. It's a city-state, and the city is the country. The country is also the city. And everything we need for a country has to be accommodated within our island. Some people compare us to Manhattan, but actually it's a wrong comparison because Manhattan is just a city, right? But we, we are a country. Everything is in here, and we're smaller than the metropolitan area of London. But of course, thanks to the good foresight and good planning by many of my predecessors, uh, we actually are just continuing their good work. And we have become one of the most liberal cities in Asia. So as I shared in one of the lectures, uh, when I attended a conference uh, in Sydney a few years ago, uh, we were introduced as the, the rock star city, all right, in recognition of our well-planned city, not because I could sing and uh, play the guitar like my minister. And <laughs> after some five decades since independence, we have a whole generation who grew up in a green garden city supported by good facilities and infrastructure and very decent housing. All right, and that's the generation of your children and my children. Right? They, they, they come to expect these comforts and the quality environment. There's a very natural order of things. But is it? Because past success is no guarantee of future success. Can we sustain our quality of life and even surpass where we are today? We live in a very complex and uncertain world. There's economic trends, rapid urbanization, cyber connectivity, demographic challenges, climate change threats, and even terrorism. 
they well threaten the future of our cities. And we really face the difficult task of planning for an uncertain future. I think the four uh, Northern Fellows before me all touched on this. But then what can we do? I think we need, we can be more anticipative for what is to come. And just thinking through the issues we need to address will really help us to prepare for different scenarios because we really don't know which way it might go and we have to shift gears as necessary to deal with them. So given the urban challenges, I then devoted the series of lectures to a discussion on cities and urban life, something that I spent my whole life doing. So the theme is called Seeking a Better Urban Future. And under this theme, the lectures were actually organised into three topics wrapped around urban issues in order of descending scale from the macro to the more local level. The first lecture actually took on an international perspective and it drew insights from the laureate cities of the Lee Kuan Yew World City Prize, a prize which is given out to an outstanding city every two years. And we like to build up this prize to be the, like the Nobel Prize for cities. And as a founding member of the prize and a nominating committee member, a minister recently pointed me as the chairman of the nominating committee, I had the privilege of analysing these cities more closely and see, so what makes them tick? Actually, these cities hold many lessons for other cities and also for us. What I want to say is Singapore really needs to pay attention to what is happening in cities around the world. We're a very small city-state and we make a living by being relevant to the world. We need to compete with other cities and to stay ahead so that we can claim a place for ourselves in the international space. And we must learn continuously from other cities, and particularly mature cities. We're already not that young, you know. I call ourselves uh, young middle age. Mature cities really provide a mirror for ourselves to reflect on where we might be in the coming decades, and maybe provide us with some clues on the type of solutions that we can adopt. Some cities are also a very rich source of highly innovative ideas. There are many emerging cities that compete and are catching up with us and will even overtake us all right, if we're not careful. And that's why I make a point to visit cities. Every year I try to visit some cities to check out what they do and learn from their best practices. And I must say I often return with a sense of urgency when I see the very fast progress they make. In fact, I just returned from uh, China recently because I went there to look at uh, building technology and digital technology. And I was really amazed at the speed of technological innovation and adoption there. We cannot afford to be too self-absorbed and inward-looking nor become complacent. We need aspirational vision. We need bold ideas and projects to stand out from the pack and to establish our branding and position internationally. You know, at the same time, actually, when we do these projects, it's really not for the outside world to look at us. It is also for our own people and our own citizenry, because these things that we do that brings us forward really engender a sense of excitement and buzz and pride among our citizens. So it is also for our people. So the second lecture, therefore, then looks at Singapore at a national scale. And then I ad identified potential trends, both the threats and the opportunities that are looming in the horizon. And I discussed what these trends might mean for Singapore. What are the potential urban responses that can prepare us for the future? 
there are actually very few solutions in the world that are directly applicable to us, given our very unique circumstances of having very limited land and resources. We will have to think out of the box. We adapt best practices from others, or we have to develop completely new solutions for ourselves. So we have to be innovative. The third lecture then zooms in on Singapore's heartlands, essentially our HDB towns. I know this, this is like the IPS crowd, all very deep in thinking, people who are very intellectual, you know. You know, while we can carry out many discussions and debates on international and national issues, my own experience is that to the man in the street, he is most concerned about his immediate local environment as it affects his day-to-day -day living experience. Indeed, a man's house is his castle. And with more than 80% of the population living in public housing, the quality of the living environment in our HDB heartlands establishes the concept of home for the Singaporean like no other. So I must tell you that I have many customers. Uh, my customers range from all my bosses, including my ministers, down to the person who write to me and tell me I have a ceiling leak. And they are just as important, the person who writes to me about the ceiling leak, as my minister. This one I must tell my minister. So they are just as important. And every day, myself and my colleagues, we navigate between very, very macro issues right down to the very detailed issues. My neighbour is very noisy. Come and check. <laughs> okay? And, and that's what we do every day, all right? But with almost a million uh, stock of flats and more than 80% living in public housing, we really need to continue to improve the quality of life for our towns. Uh, I must say that when I was in URA, I didn't realise the extent to which HDB is so integral to Singapore. And when I'm in HDB, I'm fully convinced that housing is a very, very important part of Singapore. HDB is Singapore. And because we're able to cater to good housing for people, it brings a certain stability to society and it levels up everybody. So even all the many new things that we're doing, all right, and uh, we, we try to level up the quality of the environment for everybody. And I've met, I've been to many cities and talked to many people. Housing is one of the big challenges that uh, they have. And it makes people very unhappy when they cannot have good, affordable housing. But we have a million stock of existing flats. We also need to keep upgrading our older towns to ensure a good living environment for these towns too. Now, when I first accepted the fellowship, I probably underestimated the level of effort and time needed to prepare the lectures, and worse, to have to compile them into a book. As I say, I'm visual, I prefer not to write. Right? And uh, I must say one thing, eh, because uh, lest you think that the book is, uh, uh, my staff drafted everything for me and I just signed off. Somebody just told me, oh, you just signed off. <laughs> I want to assure you that every word in there is written by me. I actually <laughs> prepared all the lectures myself during my uh, Christmas and end of the year break last year. 
and uh, of course my staff, some of them are here, my colleagues, they help me with some of the diagrams. But I think everything I said there, I wrote it, all right? I, I didn't want to burden them with having to draft speeches for me. Uh, and usually I write all my own speeches. Now, having completed the three lectures finally, I must say it did give me a sense of satisfaction and great relief. If nothing else, I hope these lectures will really spur productive and constructive conversations and make people think about it, even if they disagree with me. And more importantly, I hope the lectures will help to create a greater awareness of what it takes to manage the complexities of a city and also to understand the unique circumstances and challenges faced by Singapore and to help more people to realise the need for collective action between government and citizenry to ensure we can build a successful city and a good home. We are a small country, but we can have big and bold dreams. And we have shown over the years that we can create something out of almost nothing. And we need to carry this spirit of optimism forward and to safeguard a better future for Singapore. I leave you with this quote by Herb Kahn, a San Francisco uh, journalist. This quote, when I first saw it, touched me because I thought it was so apt. So I want to share it with you again. It's in one of my lectures. A city is not gauged by its length and its width, but by the broadness of its vision and the height of its dreams. A city is not gauged by its length and width. We don't have much length or width to talk about. All right? But the city is gauged by the broadness of its vision and the height of its dreams. And that we have. And going forward, we should continue to dream and to dream audaciously. So happy reading and thank you once again for your support in attending this book launch. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Cheong. May I invite Minister and Mr. Janadas to the stage? is now launched. Let us thank Minister and celebrate in the usual way. The book signing by Dr. Cheung will be at the foyer. Thank you for joining us today.